Welcome, everyone. It's a good day to be in God's Word. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple Making Ministry, Church Partnership Evangelism. Let me encourage you to learn more about the amazing work we're doing all around the world. You can follow all the links from our webpage, breadoflifeboise.org. Now for our study today. I'm sure that all of you have daydreamed about what would be the perfect vacation or the perfect conditions to make you happy. So did the psalmist, and his picture of the happy life is found in the very first psalm of that great songbook of the faith. We'll consider it today. Let's go now and read Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path or way of sinners. By the way, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of ungodly. The word for ungodly there is basically guilty, the guilty ones. Who stands not in the path of sinners. The word sinners there means those who have missed the mark. Nor sits in the seat of the mocker or scornful. Just exactly what it says. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also will not wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind dries away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Actually, you know, there is in little children an expectation for righteousness. When we're little children, we expect to be good little boys and we expect to be good little girls. We have a naive expectation that we will be good little boys and good little girls. In fact, we actually shock ourselves when we find that we're not good little boys and good little girls. We are so convinced that we will be good that when we do shock ourselves in doing something naughty, we say things like, I didn't mean to. (laughs) That was one of the little individual persons who attended me, a little guy by the name, I didn't mean to. Who did it? I didn't mean to, or I don't know, or it was an accident. That was another one we say when we do things we're naughty. Or if we can't get by with, I didn't mean to, and it was an accident, we will swear that our siblings made us do it, you know, that they were the primary ones responsible. Then we comfort ourselves that this brief excursion away from being a good little boy or a good little girl is over with and that we can repossess our path into goodness. But as we progress into adulthood, the failures begin to mount. And as the failures begin to mount, the standard begins to be fudged. We lower our expectations, and then we turn to different kinds of phrases. Instead of, I didn't mean to, or it was an accident, or my siblings made me do it, we say things like, well, it's not that bad, really. We say, everybody does it. We say, don't be so judgmental. And something shifted. Something's turned. The standard has been lowered for the good behavior that we once aspired to, and the dreams for moral greatness have gone into decline We discover that in order to live with any sense of contentment, we have to bury those dreams in a kind of sentimental haze of what little children think. And we must accept that life is just full of flaws and disappointments. 
we determine to lower our expectations so that we don't choke ourselves with disappointments and laments that we don't achieve our expectations. We lower them so that we can live in a kind of happy mediocrity. That's how it is with most of us. This is not how it goes with the psalmist. The Holy Spirit will not let the psalmist settle into a happy mediocrity so that he doesn't lament. As a result, the psalmist laments a lot. You read the psalms. You go through and pick them up. Read them one psalm to the next psalm to the next psalm. You'll find that in almost all of them, in the vast majority of them, there is a note of lament that you'll find in all of them. The psalmist begins his book of psalms with this dream intact of moral greatness. And he continues throughout with this dream continuing on and this dream burning bright right until the end of the book of Psalms. But the result of not giving ground on this dream of being morally good, this holding up the standard of utmost righteousness, the result of not giving ground on that dream, the Holy Spirit won't let him do it, is that he has plenty of opportunity to feel great sadness, to lament that the dream goes unrealized, unfulfilled in his life. The spirit that inspired that dream will not let the longing for a truly happy, righteous life be dismissed. He won't let it become dismantled from the hearts of the people. He will not let us consign ourselves to a hopeless but happy mediocrity. Those who wrote the Psalms and those to whom the Psalms were written will have to, if they will submit to the words of the Psalms, go on dreaming for a complete and utter righteousness. And they will have to go on lamenting that in their own lives it hasn't been fulfilled. The Psalms are expressions of the praise of God's people and the prayers of God's people, honest prayers. It's the praise of dreamers after righteousness. It's the prayers of lamenters that the dream is not fully realized. The laments remain strong just because the Spirit will not let them go of that dream. He will not let them let go of that dream. Therefore, at the very beginning of the book of Psalms, the dream is set forward. It's a dream, an individual dream of personal righteousness and full and complete and satisfying communion with God in a company of others made righteous as well. Now, we'll go on to chapter 2 next week, and we'll see that the dream continues into a dream of a king who will conquer the nations and a national progression of the kingdom of God. And we'll have a chance to talk about that a bit this morning, but this is what's put forward. So what we're going to do this morning is I just want to take you verse by verse through the dream of the happy righteous man. The dream of the happy righteous man. It begins with this phrase. Oh, how blessed is the man. We read, blessed is the man, but in the Hebrew it really means, oh, or what amazing or wonderful blessing. There is a great exclamation here of something that's aspired after. Oh, how blessed is the man. Here's what we see first. The word blessed there, we could take it as happy, completely fulfilled. This blessedness comes to one who is first careful about his or her fellowship. The psalmist puts it in a negative phrase. Here you have an individual who is not given to the compromise and the deepening companionship with sin or with sinners. The righteous one is one who will not walk in the course of accepted sin. 
you might find in your translation, it says the ungodly. Other translations will say the wicked. But the Hebrew here says the guilty. He will not walk in a constant manner with those who are guilty in this sense. The guilty walk along with a counsel that they give to one another. They say back and forth to one another, it's really not that bad. Everyone is doing it. This is just the way of life. It's really not possible to live a righteous life. This is what we have to accept. Lower your standards. You'll never be happy with yourself if you're so hard on yourself. And on and on goes the banter between them as they walk along their ways. It's the only way in which, to some extent, they can find some peace or calm or happiness as the standard continually gets to be lowered and lowered and lowered in their lives. The banter first was, I didn't mean to. It was somebody else's fault. Eventually, it's just, it's just not possible. He doesn't go on walking, carrying on his way with that kind of contemporary wisdom, the contemporary wisdom that says everybody does it, contemporary wisdom that just says, you know, you're just going to have to lighten up. He doesn't walk in that pathway. He doesn't accept the conventional acceptance of sin and mediocrity. The second thing he doesn't do is the righteous one will not stand in the place of determined or settled sin. Once they've got past the point of saying lightened up and don't be so judgmental and everybody's doing it, you begin to take your defense. You begin to take your stand. You begin to loiter around and stand in it. In the book of Ephesians, we talk about the warfare that we have with the enemy and that we arm ourselves with spiritual armor that God gives us, faith and truth and righteousness and hope. And then it says we're to pray. And then it says, having done all these things, it says stand. Stand together. Take your resistance against this temptation and these difficulties and these trials. But in the pathway of sin, initially there's just the ongoing kind of banter that you make and you're compromised with your standard. But eventually then you adopt a new standard in which you stand together and say, this is the way it is. And this is the way it will be. And you actually stand against somebody who might lift any kind of standard of righteousness up against you. And you stand against it. But he will not stand with those who take their stand against righteousness and take their stand in the compromise of sin. Finally, the righteous one will not occupy the seat where sin is conceived and planned and instructed by those who have learned to hold and scorn the ways and will of God. Eventually, if you keep bantering back and forth your compromises, you will ultimately come to a place where you'll loiter and stand in those compromises, and then you will come to the point where you actually you disdain the old standard altogether, and you mock those who are committed to them, and you actually help give coaching and planning and help direct people in how they can subvert those standards and live in a different way altogether, how they can find joy and acceptance in the sin that you have become so settled into, sat into. And so there is the progression of sin. First, you learn to lower your standard with the guilty and to accept the conventional lifestyle choices of the day. Second, you learn to stand and defend your choices, having missed the mark with others. Third, you sit and teach others your ways while mocking those who live and believe in an absolute standard of righteousness and truth. Now, the point here wasn't described the pathway of sin, but it was to describe the pathway of the righteous, happy one, the blessed righteous one lives in a completely opposite direction. He finds companionship with those who are committed to the narrow way. This is a way that is in a rub against the world. He is committed to go against the grain of moral laxity of his age. 
he takes his stand in a resolve to resist the trends of sin and the temptations of the enemy. He sits down as he grows in his stand against the world to counsel others in the battle to live against the grain of the world, a world that is lowering into moral darkness. That's the picture of the blessed, happy, righteous man. Here's another thing it says. We see this in verse 2. This blessedness not only comes from this new fellowship with those and this commitment to take their stand against sin, but this blessedness also comes to this one who has realized in his own life a sanctifying delight and discipline. By this, he has found a delight and discipline in his life that actually makes him, brings a greater and greater moral purity into his life, and he rejoices in it. It says of this man that he delights in the law of God, in the way of God. This is interesting. It's almost surprising to us. We might find a person finds the Bible helpful. We might find that he finds the law of God something that is good for him, like medicine is good for you. But this person doesn't just delight in what it does for him. He doesn't take it with even a spoonful of sugar. This is a person who actually delights in it. Not what it does for him, but in it. His life, he finds his joy in being immersed in the way and the pathways of God and the plan of God for his life. It is his delight. And not only that, it is his discipline. The word there is he meditates upon it day and night. And the word for meditate there is he hums it day and night. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, Go to traincpe.org, traincpe.org, to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.